Welcome to the People's Show, coming to you live from the portable Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. People Show, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D-L-E-A-M-C. Dot com. You can be part of the show as always, 650, 650 into our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you. One, two, three in Ladner and Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. If you're hearing sounds from the outside, that's because we are on location. Nat Bailey Stadium, a nooner. At the Nat, myself, Vic Nazar, Josh Elliott-Wolf here with me till 1 o'clock. Come by, say hi to us during the breaks. Yeah, please during the breaks. <laughs> please during the breaks. Come check out uh, all the stuff that's happening here. Fortis BC's got set up uh, outside, and we're getting ready for a nooner at the Nat against the Tri-City Dust Devils. Dust Devils. Dust Devils. It's uh, Sat was too much of a coward to work four days in a week. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I said uh, yesterday during the summer, I think he can only, like, max out. He's, he's like, he's not in season shape, and he's not getting ready for preseason. Yeah. So it's like, hey, I can only do three days. It's like an emergency recall, and then, he, then he's got to go back. <laughs> I think he's off for, like, two more weeks at least. He, he might be, like, off-season Alec Manoa, where it's like he comes back. It's like, we, we think he's back, yeah. and then he goes down. It's like, oh, uh, I think guess, we we'll, to guess we'll see you next year, Designate buddy. for a side murder. Designate for a holiday for a couple of weeks. Sad is the uh, – the six fifty. Yeah, Manoa? we should tell him you're the six fifty Alec Manoa. I'll I'm sure you take that well. I'm texting him. Right I mean, now. to be fair, he is a. It's a great outcome. He's a lead at one point. Yeah, and then he's falling off. I'm sending him a text. Right what now. else can we say? There's a little mini fire truck that just pulled up in front of us. I want one of those at home. Yeah. It says only Smokey the Bear. Only you can prevent <laughs> wildfires on it. We're giving everyone the play-by-play play of what's going on today. Everything that's happening at Bailey, uh, we yeah, got you covered. I smell popcorn. Oh, it, honestly, I see tents. I, I say this every time we're here. It, it 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 matters more when it's like May and you're getting ready for summer. But every time you show up here, it smells like summer. Yes. Being at Nat Bailey, one of the best things to do in Vancouver during the summer, mm-hmm. especially on a day like today. A nooner at the Nat. A nooner at the Nat. There's clouds in the sky, but they are so they're, they're like North Shore clouds. Yeah. There is very few clouds here. Above Nat yeah, it's Bailey. It's supposed to be a heat wave this weekend. I don't think it's supposed oh, to be super hot. Really? Yeah. Like coming soon? I don't think it's supposed to be super hot today, oh. but this weekend is supposed to get uh, that's unpleasant. Yeah, up to 29 on Sunday. Well, that's not I think bad. into the 30s next week that, that, is what I, what I saw. That's when it gets rough. Yeah, it gets it gets a little intense. I'm going to be camping this weekend, too, so I'm just Where I'm worried. Uh, shoe swap. All right. I've never been there, so I'm uh, looking forward to it. Going with the fam. Are you taking time off, too? Yeah, next week is my last week off, though. I don't do the sat thing where I'm like, I got to figure out how he structures his schedule Mm -hmm. because it just seems like I never see him. And I don't know. Sounds like you're having a great summer. He's got it down to to a science. Uh, Yes, if you hear some uh, reverse beacons going off, that is the uh, fire truck that is on hand here. Not the little one, the big one. Yes. uh, There's uh, two uh, fire trucks. A big fire truck. Uh, that's uh, right in front of our booth right now. Yeah. Uh, Chef's why you're texting in the portable studio, not mobile. Both are the same. I use both words. 
Portable, it is. Calling well, us out for everything. It is. Yeah, I guess it's both. It's, it's both portable. It's, 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 like, we, we moved it. Yeah. And it is mobile because we moved it. Yeah. I see you working. Uh, 650-650. Benny from Comox texting in about all the soccer talk we had yesterday. Yeah. Uh, you missed it. Sat's a big Chelsea guy, as you know. He was going through the emotional windmill yesterday. I saw the uh, the video we put up of him, like, getting pumped oh, and about a guy sad. not leaving. Oh, okay. Did he? Did it? Did the guy end up leaving? By the time it, it, it's the turned show out ended? that like he he rejected Liverpool, right? Overnight, it's like I'm going to Chelsea. So oh, Moises so Casido is, is that good though? For for Sad, for, it's like yeah, he's, okay. he's pumped. Okay, but we'll see. Good for Sad. That's why he had to take the day off. <laughs> he's he's in celebration mode. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're here again till uh, one o'clock. We got Jamie Eisenberg from uh, CBS Sports coming up in about 25 minutes. If you want to talk fantasy football, you're getting ready for your drafts, mm-hmm. and you're thinking, hey, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in this draft. I need some fantasy football guidance. Uh, Jamie will help you up uh, coming up in about 25 minutes. So you can get some questions in to the inbox. We'll toss uh, as many as we can towards Jamie. Have you started your fantasy football seasons? Uh, my first draft, unless something comes up sooner, is August 27th. So you still got some time. Yeah, and it's uh it's my first time doing a super flex league. Yeah. So I'm I know what I'm picking fourth, which there I think go. is a good spot. But I, now I'm just trying to figure out if I need to get a quarterback up yes, for. You yes, you do. Do I? Yes, you do. Um, either way, we'll we'll worry about that later. Yeah. Uh, I, some people have uh, DM'd me, texted into the show yesterday about the 650 fantasy football league. Will we be doing one? My understanding is we are. Uh, details are uh, soon to be coming out about that. So. Thank you for all the questions of how you can get involved in this year's Fantasy Football League. Last year was the... I, I feel like, I can tell you right now, I feel, feel like we were quite lenient on entry to get in last year. Really? Yeah. Didn't you guys get a... We, 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 we got a lot of things. You got like a beer named after We, we got a lot of things. People show beer. But here's the thing. It's like the standard is the standard. Now it's been set, and now you got to like surpass that. Right. So, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like that's a bold ask. Like what? People what's your ideal league. thing to get in in return for a spot? In the I don't want to put league. limitations on imagination. Is okay, my thing. fair enough. So we'll have more announcements uh, for that coming up. But I, I, I'm telling people right now, bring the heat. Okay. Like this is, you know, to make a baseball reference because we're at the nat here. This is bottom nine, two out, bases loaded. You're on the mound. You you gotta bring the heat. Yeah. I want someone strike some to strike some people uh, out. Can I can I give someone a spot if they out kick me on a field goal? Like if they can hit a field goal further than me, that would be a fun challenge. Yeah. Have you even started practicing? <laughs> Not at all. I have a football in my trunk right now. That doesn't help at all. No. Is there a field nearby? I feel like after the show, we take it out and we, we test this out. Thirty uh, yarder? Well, we'll just go in the net. <laughs> <laughs> They're taking batting practice, and you're setting up in the outfield. Like, yeah. How long can I boot this away? Can we get some yardage markers, please? Otherwise, this is, this is pointless. It's not, it's not yardage markers on a baseball field. It's feet. No, I know. But I mean, we for, can judge for it my from purpose, home, I need a from yard. home to to the left field pole. Okay, I don't know if I'm. I don't think I'm going that far. If I can go that far, then I should be. I should be in the CFL or NFL right now. Kick him for. Oh man. In the preseason. Good stuff, good stuff. Uh, we saw some preseason action uh, last night. We saw some CFL action last night. Mm-hmm. Elks dropping a 22-point lead to lose their 22nd consecutive 
home game. It's honestly like one of the most mind blowing stats in sports right now. It's crazy. Like I saw it earlier this year, and I was like, no, like no way. That must be. A I, I thought they meant like fourth consecutive home loss sure. or whatever. And then I looked, and I was like, man, they suck. Like, how can you not win a game at home? Like, regardless of sport, regardless of how bad you are, mm-hmm. you should just be able to pull one out at some point. I was I was in Edmonton uh, last week. Saw some elk signage, and I pointed out, be like, "Oh, hey, the elks! You guys go to games?" And just like the eye roll I saw from <laughs> from friends and people there, would be like, "Maybe they won a game." I'm like, "Ooh, yeah!" Like, could you tough. imagine? Like the BC Lions, I I think they've been doing a lot of great things, awesome. getting people yeah. into BC Place, and they've been winning games, which is a big thing. But can you like? It wouldn't matter what the BC Lions were doing if they lost twenty two consecutive home games. Like, people wouldn't be going to games. So, like, it, even if you just went five hundred, but you only won your home games. At least you're paying customers are still like, hey, man, I show up to the field. I'm walking away happy. <laughs> yeah. Team's 500. I get it. They're struggling. Yeah. But they win their home games. They know how to show up for the home crowd. 22 in a row. And now at this point, it's like, man, it's in your head. Every home game, you're like, hey, we got we to gotta win this one. And, like, yesterday, 22-point lead, and you blow it. Like, how, how much does that get into your head, like, Going forward, every home game. I'm just trying to picture too, because um, he got nasty at Rogers Arena yes uh, last year, um, home opener, right? right. But yeah. that was a five game losing streak leading into the home opener, and things got rather heated. But I'm almost like want to see a 14 game home losing streak to see what it really looks <laughs> like here. I want to experience what a long losing streak looks like. Maybe not this year. No, yeah, maybe not this year. Maybe not this year. Especially one, not at the start. One day down the road. Yeah. I just feel like that'd be a new experience to check out. You got to try everything once. I don't know. I don't know if that'd be worth it in the end. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. But it's just, nice uh, to watch from a afar. Yes. Yes. That's an Edmonton thing. Keep it in Edmonton. But but g- genuinely, like, like, what are the sports stats that like blow your mind? And this one right now, I, I just I keep seeing this one. Yeah. Maybe text that in, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Like, sports stats that just, like, don't make sense. Because that, like, that's probably the main one that I can think of right now. Is, Four seasons. And I'm sure there's probably stuff, and you you and Dom would probably know better, like stuff in European soccer mm-hmm. that is just Well, there, there's the famous Jose Mourinho one where he didn't lose a home game. Was it for nine seasons or something like that? Um over three clubs. I think it was uh, Porto, Chelsea, and I think Inter. Was he at Inter first or Madrid? Either way, he went nine seasons without losing a home match. He didn't win them all. There were some draws in there. Mm-hmm. But nine seasons without losing a home match. That's pretty wild. But also, uh, United have uh, they have some crazy record at Old Trafford. When they lead at half, they haven't lost in, uh, I don't know, how many years? Decades? Yeah, I, I feel like it's 20 years. It's, it's, it's a long time. Uh, this one, uh, talk about Manoa getting option to the minors again. Come on. Yeah, we, so we, we were briefly discussing that. Yeah, so plus we got, if you missed Jay's talk, plus mm-hmm. you know, is uh, go go subscribe to that pod, plus our pod, plus Canucks Talk and Canucks Central. Yeah, those and will be back rough. Yeah, I assume if we can find Sat by then. <laughs> by the way, they've never lost after leading at halftime. It, it's never okay. Never. That's that's the stat. Man, you at. If they're leading at halftime, yeah, they have at never home. lost at home. I, I thought really? I thought surely there'd be one. There's like, like draws in their in history. There. Like there's draws in there. No, but, but still, yeah. like in, like they've been around for a while. <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, 73-9, Golden State Warriors blowing a 3-1 lead in the finals. That's a yes. good one. First team to blow a 3 nothing lead. Was it 3 nothing or th- it was 3-1, wasn't it? Three. Oh, yeah, because no team has blown a 3 nothing lead. Yeah. It was 3-1. It was 3-1. Uh, but good shout in the inbox, 6-50, uh, So Manoa going down. Yes. Um, he gets, uh, just to bring you the transaction, he gets option to AAA Buffalo and the Jays recall Hagen Danner from AAA Buffalo. Who's a pitcher, right-handed pitcher? So it's not one one thing that like when I saw it, I was like, oh, maybe it's they they've been running the six-man rotation. I know Hinjin Ryu got mm-hmm. uh, hit with the ball in the last game on the inside of the knee. On the inside of the yeah. knee, yeah. So I thought maybe it was something like, hey, they they are more comfortable with Ryu than they are with Manoa. But I think it's uh, I think it's just more about Manoa. Like it's on him mm-hmm. and and his performance since coming back to Toronto like he's had a couple good games but it's been the same issues where he's walking too many guys his control just isn't where it was and he's not going deep enough into games and luckily the Jays have a good enough bullpen mm-hmm. that it it makes up for it but I like I don't know what went wrong for him this year obviously when they sent him to Florida a lot of it seemed conditioning based mm-hmm. and and that kind of makes sense for a guy that that is that big um but I, I don't know what needs to be done with him, and obviously the Jays don't either, and they're they're hoping this uh, option to Buffalo, and who knows if it'll if it'll last the whole season. Mm-hmm. I would expect that because you get more uh, you get more roster spots in September in Major League Baseball. I would expect that he'd probably be one of the guys they call up, but I almost wonder if it's even worth it because are you going to be comfortable starting him in a playoff game, or even like having him come oh, in I can't relief imagine. in a playoff? I game. can't imagine in a playoff yeah. spot. You're thinking like, hey, let's let's deep down, uh, r- rather dig down to uh, someone that's had this inconsistent season. Yeah, and and even the highs haven't exactly been. No, there hasn't superb. been a game where it was last year's Alec. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like for me, like I just I don't get the point in recalling him at some point if you do end up doing that because. Other than hoping that it's going to work, there's been no evidence that it will actually work. But you're finally at a stage of the season where hope and opportunity are falling by the wayside because at this stage, it's go get W's. That's it. Yeah. And and you can't provide the opportunity for someone to resurrect their season at this stage just because you're running out of time, you're in this chase. And and look, they're, they're having a better season than people want to admit. It's not the same to expectation. Um because the expectation was they go gang bas- gangbusters yeah. uh, in, in the American League. But mm-hmm. when you're at this stage... Uh, Trying to hold on to a wild card September's going to be here before you know it. Seattle suddenly just surging. They've won seven in a row, nine and one in their last ten. One and a half games back of the Jays right now. We could be talking in five days' time, and the Mariners could be ahead of the Jays. Yeah, very realistically. And, like, the Jays, or sorry, the Mariners have... A lot of things around this time of year is is kind of vibes based. Sure, it's like things just start going well for you, but and you can carry that in. Right, but that's been the Mariners for two seasons now. Yeah, they they've perfected chaos ball, winning all those one run games over the past uh, couple of seasons. Yeah, and now here they are, and and th- there were seasons. A couple of seasons ago, where the run differential was so poor, was it last season or the year before? Uh, uh, they were basically, if I remember correctly, and I, I always compare it to like Minnesota Vikings of last year, yes. where it was like they negative point differential yes. and they won thirteen games. I yes. believe the Mariners were like that last, last year, year yeah. too. Now this year, 
it's a different story. They're right there with the Jays as far as run differential. Mm-hmm. And it's a team that, again, was expected to take a step forward, maybe a step behind where the Jays are expected to be, but a step forward. They and, were they were definitely expected to be like a playoff team, yes. for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's taken some time here. Now suddenly uh, the M's are surging, and you, know, you win a week straight. That's fantastic. Uh, and you get ready for uh, the stretch here of what should be a dynamic wild card run. But I, I, I want to go back to Manoa. And I know, I know we've had this conversation a little bit when he first got sent down to Florida and just, just the scope of – because this guy started the All-Star game not so long ago. Yeah. He was amazing and, last year. Scion contender. Yes. And now it's just, hey, this isn't even an option. Forget even, hey, playoff game. This is like – I don't know if we can even have you start for the rest of the season. Yeah. In a in a 390-day span, basically, this is flip. And I've I've struggled to find comps for this in the past of how it can flip so quickly for a player, and especially for a player that's in command of what he can control. Because I think of some players like a, a, a Jonathan Chichu, right? Mm-hmm. He had that fantastic season, but there was an element of like, wow, George Thornton's doing a lot of good work for you, and yeah. you're converting. And it can it can slip any, at any point, mm-hmm. but so much of that was out of your control because it's someone's helping set you up. Yeah, this is like, dude, you got the ball in your hands. You can control everything. Same catcher, same pitching coach, like everything's the same. A lot of things have been consistent, but mm-hmm. it's slipped. And you just try to think again. Not that any other player is going to have this level of a drop from that level of a height, but if you start projecting it across other sports, what are other players that you look at? Because we always talk about, hey, this guy's going to regress. But are there, are there other things that we should be considering? When it comes to, let's just say, for instance, the Vancouver Canucks. When you look at it, be like, hey, who, who can go from a height to a, a floor faster than we think? Like, I got, so in terms of, like, guys that this could happen to or guys that it has happened to? Could happen to. So Moving I feel forward. like the, the answer that everyone's going to put in the text box is going to be JT Miller. And you can text him, by the way, 650-650 as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm, like, completely sold on that just because I don't think he's going to have. But I feel like he already had 20% regression. Yeah. But, I mean, Manoa, like, what, what would you say that is? Like, 70% regression? Yeah, I guess. Like, you got, it, it has to go from a guy, and, and like, you're not going to get this in hockey where a guy goes from all-star level one year to in the AHL the next year. You know, because um, that would probably be the Manoa comparable. But can a guy like drop from a really good top six player to playing in the bottom six? Well, there's a text here, six fifty, six fifty, and it's it's the one I was kind of thinking of, Kuzmenko. Right. But have you seen how shredded he is? Look you at his go. off-season training. There's no way. You need to stop watching Bali workout videos. He posted a picture. He was playing volleyball. Just it was like, like I, I, Top Gun. He was shredded. I, I'm not caught up on the Kuzmenko uh, Instagram workout phase right now. I his, bought his it completely. Um, but, yeah, that's a good show because it's also like n- not that he was unknown, but there was an element of like what could he actually achieve coming from the KHL. Then you go pop in 39 goals, and suddenly it's like, okay, you're an NHL player, 74 points. If, if there is a drop-off for him – First of all, that's a bad reality for Vancouver. But how far is that drop-off? Does it go from 74 to um, 50? Um, like, what's an acceptable level of regression for Andre Kuzmenko's season next year? Uh, 
I feel like around fifty would be acceptable. Anything less than that, and he's he's, he's being paid five point five, and he's also expected to be like. There's no question about penciling him next to Patterson, mm-hmm. and if you can't do that, then you're like, oh my goodness, who's Patterson's wingers? You know, other than hey, like if Elian Mikheyev stays healthy, I feel like people are penciling him in too. But um, I think I, my number is sixty because I I, I s- kind of subscribe to the. Um, hundred thousand dollars for every point, kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. So if you're at five point five, like fifty five is the baseline. But if you're a first line player, you need more than fifty five. But if if he gets to sixty, I can say like, okay, that's fine, but not great. There, there, there's no complaints, but also you you should be building upon uh, what you did. It, it just it it brings more questions than answers uh, for Andre Kuzmenko there. Yeah, and I it's it's hard because when you look at guys that could regress. Like, nobody had a great year last year other than Pedersen, Hughes. Miller was not where he was the previous year, and Kuzmenko. Um, And then you can look at other guys like Dakota Joshua or whoever Mm -hmm. who outperformed expectations. But, like, I don't expect Pedersen or Hughes to regress. And uh, with Kuzmenko, like, it just feels like he has a lot of things that could end up not going his way. Like, you look at the shooting percentage mm-hmm. this past year, and it's just so crazy, and it's so hard to assume that that's going to be anywhere close to what it was last year. I think it was around 27%, which was, like, 7% higher than the next closest player yeah, in the Yeah, it was 27.3%. Yeah, so that's an, a very logical thing to look at and say, hey, like, it, it wouldn't be surprising to see this guy regress, but... Uh, we got a text in 650-650. In reality, it's going to be hard to accept any regression from Kuzmenko. Like, I will say, if he's in the 50 to 60-point range, like, are they a playoff team? Because the, the bar is so thin like, mm-hmm. between whether or not they make it or don't make it. And Kuzmenko, if he's your – like, we're all looking at him as the best, most impactful winger on this team, I think, in terms of offense – if he's not where he was last year or, or close to it, then that might be the difference between making or not making the playoffs. A, a reality would have to emerge for someone like Brock Besser to click at a 65-point pace, Yeah, which, again, that's not a number he's hit. Some of it injuries, some of it shortened seasons, all of it. But if, if Kuzmenko regresses down to 60, then you need an emergence from somewhere else. Uh, most notable candidate is someone like Brock Besser, Ilya McKay, a full season, full healthy season, ideally from him. See what kind of point total he can put together. Uh, but something to discuss as we will discuss uh, continually through the inbox, 650, 650. Uh, we'll touch more on uh, the NHL, some free agents that are available. But we are over here at Nat Bailey Stadium getting ready for a nooner at the Nat Vancouver Canadians getting ready to host the Dust Devils. Mm-hmm. Not just any devils, the the dust devils. They're dusty. Yeah, they're they're dusty. Uh, first pitch uh, getting going shortly after one o'clock. Tyler Zick will have the call here on our airwaves uh, shortly after one o'clock. But we are here until then. Come by, say hi, uh, and get ready for your uh, day at the park at Nat Bailey. More on the way here. I will talk to Jamie Eisenberg on the other side from CBS Sports, uh, covering fantasy football if you've got any fantasy questions getting ready for your draft some players you're interested in you want to ask jamie about send it in to our inbox 650 650 we'll connect with jamie on the other side here on the people show sportsnet 650 
Welcome back to the People Show. Coming to you live from the mobile Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. You had to make a decision there, mobile or portable. No, I wasn't, wasn't making a decision. I was it just sounded building, like. I was building the hype over it. To, portable, to whether or not you mobile? would say portable? Yeah. Wow. Well, I didn't realize I was, I was, it was under such scrutiny every word. So I was like, all right. Let's, let's I want you to, I want you to think of two new ones for 12 and 1230. All right. I can't think of other. <laughs> <laughs> Probably need a thesaurus. I don't know. Uh, I... I didn't get a chance to uh, flex off the top of the show. Seahawks beat the Vikings. Oh. Preseason, baby. How much of the game? Did you watch the whole game? Let's get the championship belt. I watched one snap. So did I watch the first drive, and I was like, this is enough. I, I saw one snap on Twitter. I'm going to probably watch it later tonight, right. but I went out for dinner last night, so I didn't get oh, a chance okay. to uh, actually get to watch it. I, uh, like, the, the only player I was interested in seeing was um, Jordan Addison. And, and right. Jaron Hall, to an extent, who they a quarterback they drafted in the third round for the Vikings. That was the one play I saw, the toe tap along the sideline. Yeah, Jordan Addison. Yeah. yeah. Um, he looked good, and, like, realistically, he doesn't have to be great mm-hmm. behind Justin Jefferson. you just just got to be uh, capable. Uh, and then Ivan Pace Jr. as well on defense. For uh, He was undrafted, but had some hype. Okay. And he, I, saw, I saw some he like, people message me. Like, he, he had a big hit. Yeah, you had a you like got a guy. Right. Um, there was a big hit by a by Kobe Bryant, Seahawks safety. Yeah, there was a big hit there. Again, I haven't seen any of these plays, but yeah, I, I don't know there. if Drew Locke was good. I don't know. There was just a bunch of guys. Preseason football sucks. It's rough. I want to like it's it rough. because I like I get so hyped well, up because it, it's it it salves the thirst. Yes, it, it it's like just a little drops of water of like. I don't you know what? Like, fall's coming back. Hockey's going to be here before you know it. Playoff baseball's going to be here before you know it. Yeah. Premier League's kicking off. And, You're and getting into, like, preseason s- football. It's just like that first little drop. It's like, yeah. here we go. It's the tease before the best time of year in sports where everything is happening, and it's I, great. I'm, I'm a fall over spring sports guy. I'm a fall I, I, over spring season guy, too. Sure, sure. But, you know, because, like, we're getting to playoffs at the end, and it's yeah. like, oh, this is when it all counts. I, I like the hope and optimism version of, Me like, too. seasons are starting and getting underway. I'm not disappointed uh, yet. Premier League season getting ready in a uh, half hour kicks off. Man City and uh, Burnley? I think they're playing Burnley. I'm going to be wrong on that. Yeah, Burnley. Uh, we were talking on the show yesterday, the the fantasy Premier League. But let's let's set aside the soccer talk for right now. Let's get onto the gridiron. We can talk to uh, Jamie Eisenberg, who joins us now from CBS Sports. Jamie, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, uh, we are doing fantastic. Geeked up after the first uh, real round, no Hall of Fame game of preseason games last night, and uh, we get into the full swing of things now, and uh, we get to uh, look for fantasy season. Uh, how 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 are the seasons shaping up for you so far? You know, it's uh, it's been a fun start so far, but now we get to see some of the, the thoughts that we have get put into action with the, the preseason games, you know, leading up to the start of the uh, real action. But, you know, this is the, the silly season for the most part because, you know, everybody's got their opinions and you know, some of the ones that you believe in. You know, if you see a player that you like and, and somebody you're excited about, he does something great in the preseason, you're like, hey, look, I was right before anything ever happened. And then you get somebody that, you know, does something, you know, struggles or, or plays poorly, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, what am I doing? Yeah, is there anything outside of injuries in the preseason that 
like you're looking at your rankings do any of the do any of the performances in the preseason change where you rank players or is it just if an injury happens that might move things and that's it um it's not necessarily performance so much i think it's more playing time and you know depth chart things that are not actually related to what the depth chart tells us you know so i'll give you an example just with the patriots last night there's a, a receiver that they have going into second year taekwon thornton that I was, you know, somewhat excited about with a late-round pick. And then you see him, you know, not being given the, the, the starter's treatment, you know, playing with some of the backups. And you get a little bit concerned about something like that. So I'm not going to completely run away from him, uh, but I'm not going to be probably as aggressive as I would targeting him with a late-round pick. So, you know, we get into the deeper drafts, deeper rounds, that's when I take a guy like that. But, you know, when you see some of the situations where a guy is, you know, not necessarily getting the opportunity um, and then, especially when he gets those opportunities, not performing with those opportunities, those are the things in the preseason that make you nervous. What's the lesson to take away? Because I think about last year and, and, and like the Josh Jacobs preseason, and, and you mentioned someone like Tyquan Ty Thornton, who's it's not quite the same scale because Josh Jacobs, we're talking about a first round pick in the NFL and, and had high acclaim. But, but like, what's the lesson to take away mm-hmm. to from what happened last year with Josh Jacobs and what we might see materialize through preseason this year? Again, I think it comes down to, you know, circumstances. And, you know, uh, the, the Jacob scenario is a perfect one because it was a new coach, you know, coming mm-hmm. to a new team and, you know, a player that, you know, I think he wanted just to get some some eyeballs on. And, you know, I, if it's a veteran situa- situation, you know, where the coach has been there for a long time and they're playing somebody like that, then, then you probably take a little bit more of, you know, a, a second look or, or wonder what's going on. But, you know, I, I think it's always with, with the preseason, you know, you got to look at really what the circumstances are, what the situation is, who the player is, who the coach is. And uh, to be honest, I, I, I wouldn't uh, be, be so opposed if they were all like Sean McVay. Just don't play your starters. Don't get anybody hurt. <laughs> you know, let's see some of these backups and maybe give them a chance to shine and earn some jobs. But um, every coach is going to approach it differently, and we're going to get some, you know, different examples. But, yeah, the, the Josh Jacobs one is, is one we reference a lot just with the, the idea of, like, you don't want to panic about a certain situation if it's not going again the way that you think it's going to go. So the hype for for the fantasy drafts starts to really pick up around this time when preseason gets going and all that. I get into this argument often with with everyone in my leagues where we we it's hard to know the perfect time to draft. Is there is there a time you look at maybe like a week or two ahead of the season, a few days before the season where you think is the the ideal time to do your fantasy draft? I think anytime you know you get to a point where you don't have to worry about in-game injuries, you know we're always going to have a situation. You know, I think it was last year or t- two years ago with the Ravens running backs where they both got hurt, mm-hmm. not in preseason but in practice. Uh, the one that I'll always reference is when Jarek McKinnon was a big free agent signing for the San Francisco 49ers. It looked like he was going to be their starting running back. He got hurt in between the the last preseason game and the and the first week, you know, in, in a practice right on time that fantasy drafts are really picking up you know it, it kind of goes both ways because you're going to see situations where unfortunately guys get hurt and you may have drafted the backup with a very late round pick I, i'll give you an example i'm in a startup dynasty league um and it was the 23rd round and it was the news of kareem hunt either signing with new orleans or potentially the colts and i was on the clock i was like why not you know the, the players at, the, at this point were not going to help me very much you know, just taking some dart throws, but maybe Kareem Hunt, if he's the guy in New Orleans, then gets that three-game advantage without Alan Kamara there, and he's better than Jamal Williams. That could be a benefit. Or if he's the guy in Indianapolis and Jonathan Taylor really doesn't play or, you know, gets traded, that could be a big benefit. So, you know, you get some of these advantages early in the process, 
uh, that could either help you or conversely, if somebody gets hurt, like for example, Devontae Adams going down to practice today, you know, you're like, oh my God, my season sunk because my first or second round pick just, you know, may have been out for several weeks or maybe some season. So uh, I prefer to be as close to the season as possible just to avoid those injuries and at least give you the most data that you have. But, you know, uh, the, the best part I think about doing drafts is if you can do them in person because, you know, you get all the trash talking in face to face and get a chance to see your, your family or buddies or whatever. And that, to me, is the most uh, fun about playing this, this silly game that we play. So if you go to CBSSports.com, you know, the fantasy page, you can check out uh, Jamie's rankings, uh, talking to Jamie Eisenberg. Uh, so what what were some of the toughest decisions making your top 200, if you want to take us through some, uh, this fantasy season? Uh, there's always going to be a tough call or two, you know, when you look at the starters, you know. So uh, at the quarterback position, you know, it's it, – the, the guys at the top, I, I think the first three are relatively easy, but you can you know have some fun debates of even Mahomes versus Hurts versus Allen. Uh, really, it's more that second-tier group of Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. You know, those guys, I think, are somewhat interchangeable. You have, you know, some pretty good passers there with Burrow and Herbert, the running quarterbacks of Fields and Lamar Jackson and what those guys do. So um, I've changed those four guys a uh, hundred times already at this point. Um, it's almost the same thing at the tight end position because you know there's two guys that are locked in. Kelsey's in a tier by himself. Mark Andrews, I believe, is in a tier by himself. But the next, I think it's five guys uh, of, again, whatever order you want to put them in. For me, it's Darren Waller, TJ Hawkinson, Kyle Pitts, Dallas Goddard, George Kittle. You know, I, if you told me I ended up with any one of those guys on my fantasy team, I'd be happy, but it goes by cost where you're getting those guys in whatever round. Uh, but I think they're all going to be somewhat, you know, uh, if everybody's healthy, competing for that number three spot. Uh, there's a lot of different examples at running back and wide receiver. You know, I I, I think you get a again, you know, to, to answer your question about the preseason, but also practice stuff. You hear something, you see something. A lot of it sometimes is confirmation bias. You know, oh, I like this guy at this spot. Right. And then he does, you know, he, he, oh, he had a great practice day. Okay, well, I'll pump him up five rankings, five spots in my rankings. You know, just to, you know, make myself feel better about somebody that I'm that I'm confident in. So those type of things change all the time. But I think really the the toughest debates for me were at the the second, third tier of quarterbacks and second, third tier of tight ends. It feels like we're seeing a lot of uh, receivers rising the ranks here uh, as we get closer to the season. Could you see some some really good value in, in running backs in maybe the third or fourth round that we don't usually see year to year? Fifth round, sixth round, seventh round even. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we typically have called this spot. It's kind of, uh, you know, for people that have been playing fantasy for a while, the dead zone um, because of, of how the running backs have sort of been put in this range. And it's usually been the running backs that are – ranked somewhere probably between like 15 and you know 25 and now what you're seeing is that group has been pushed down because the wide receivers like you said have been pushed up so a lot of times when these running backs that were drafted in round two that still had some good value now you're seeing them again a little bit later so the the guys that are kind of living in this range uh damian pierce jk dobbins um alexander madison james connor uh miles sanders you know they're 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 obviously in this spot for a reason, you know, you could, you can nitpick and, and see what the flaws are, but you're talking about a lot of guys that have a chance to be, you know, 200 plus carries uh, in some cases be significantly involved in the passing game, which is great. Then you get past that group. And now you have Alvin Kamara because of the three game suspension getting pushed down. Uh, James Cook, who could be a, a very nice player in, in Buffalo as their new lead running back. Rashad White is going to be the lead running back in Tampa Bay. Cam Akers, uh, you know, all these guys can have, you know, pretty promising seasons as well. Again, you know, you see what the the risk is with some of these players, but you also could see the the upside. So it's a it's a good way to draft if you go heavy wide receiver early, 
and then you could kind of live in this range with your running backs. You take maybe three of them over, you know, a four-round range, and you could have a pretty good fantasy roster that way. You mentioned, hey, getting all your buddies together, doing the draft in person, and any time that happens, everyone loves the shiny new thing. Like, there's Derrick Henry getting 1,500 yards, double-digit touchdowns, but the shiny new thing now, Jamie, is B. John Robinson. Uh, what, what, what's the, the right era, a space to take uh, B. John Robinson with all the hype that comes with it? I think the hype is warranted, to be honest with you, you know, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm in that camp. Um, we have our, uh, our magazine that just hit newsstands, and it's um, the cover story. I wrote it on Bijan Robinson that he could potentially, you know, challenge Saquon Barkley in 2019 in a PPR standpoint and Eric Dickerson from 1983 in a non-PPR standpoint to be the best rookie running back ever. Um, he's got the pedigree, you know, what he did at Texas. He ended up in a great situation with Atlanta, which is a very underrated offensive line. And they were number one in rush attempts last year. So they're going to give him every opportunity to carry the ball. And he seems to be a pretty special wide receiver out of the backfield as well. So as long as Desmond Ritter is not an absolute disaster, I think that we're going to get some very good production out of Bijan Robinson. So for me, he's my number three running back behind Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler in PPR. In any other format, he's number two behind McCaffrey. Um, I just think it's a great situation, great opportunity, and he's going to you know, be the Ezekiel Elliott as a rookie, Saquon Barkley as a rookie, you know, Todd Gurley as a rookie, you know, just some guys of recent memory and have a chance to just be an absolute, you know, dynamic fantasy option. So first round for sure, uh, as high as number five overall for me. So people are definitely going to have to use a first rounder on him, but are there any rookie, whether it be running backs or receivers, maybe tight ends that are going later in the draft, maybe, maybe after round 10 that you could see really popping off this year? Yeah, there's a few running backs. You know, depending on where Devon A-Chain goes, I, I think he, he sort of throws the line. I think Zach Charbonnet is going to be the third guy. Samir Gibbs is going to be the second running back. He's most likely going to be a third-round pick, uh, no later than the fourth round. But I, I think when you talk about, you know, Charbonnet at the top of that group, um, and depending on the health of Ken Walker, his, you know, average draft position for Charbonnet can rise. But A-Chain in Miami. Uh, Roshan Johnson is one of my favorite rookies in the draft in Chicago because it's kind of a wide-open backfield there without David Montgomery and he's competing with Khalil Herbert and uh, Deontay Foreman. Uh, I like the setup for Tank Bigsby in Jacksonville. I think he's got a chance to be the second guy behind Travis Etienne, but if Etienne goes down, Bigsby could be in a really good spot. So those are kind of the ones that I gravitate to the most, uh, specifically Johnson and, and uh, Bigsby, where you can draft them. The wide receivers are great. You know, I, I think as long as the, the value remains a little bit suppressed for Zay Flowers, he's in a good spot for Baltimore. I think everybody's going to take Jordan Addison and Jackson Smith and the Jigba first, so they're not going to be in the round 10 range, they're more in the round 8 range. Uh, Quentin Johnson kind of lives in this spot, and I think he's a huge upside play because if something happens to Mike Williams or Keenan Allen, then you could see him being, you know, uh, number one or number two guy there for, uh, for Justin Herbert. So the sky's the limit in that offense with uh, Kellen Moore now calling plays. After you get past those guys, you know, we saw Tank Dell have a good performance last night for the Texans. He's in a good spot. Again, another wide open uh, receiving core. Um, Josh Downs can make some plays for the Colts. I think he's going to be fun. I'm curious about Jaden Reed in Green Bay just because of the young receiving core there. But I think those, uh, those first four wide receivers and then some of the second-tier running backs are going to be pretty special. And then at the tight end spot, it's great to take flyers on Dalton Kincaid and Sam Laporta. And, and you know, we'll see what they do in their offenses. they got very good opportunities. Kincaid, you're attaching yourself to, you know, clearly a guy like uh, Josh Allen and to see what the potential is there. And then Laporta has basically a six-game head start without James Williams there to potentially be the number two target in Detroit, and that could be really fun because I think that's going to be a great offense. 
who's like this year's guy that we should be kind of worried about that the, the the hype is kind of getting out of control and I, I feel like last year maybe it was DeAndre Swift who was going you know round late round one uh, round two who, who's kind of that this year's version that someone that you're lower on than consensus that maybe should have some warning signs around it you know, we kind of look at average draft position, and that gives us an idea about, you know, where players are going. And, and mm-hmm. let's face it, a lot of the drafts haven't happened yet, so the, the data is a little bit incomplete. But we were just talking about this on our podcast today on, on CBS Sports uh, Fantasy Football Today. Uh, DK Metcalf continues to be a round three pick, and I just don't understand it because he's been outproduced by Tyler Lockett for three or four seasons in the NFL. And I don't think people realize that because he's just such a physical presence. And, you know, every time he's doing something on the field, it's typically impressive. Uh, but now you're adding in Jackson Smith and Jigba, and I just don't understand how that matches up, that he's been the second receiver from a production standpoint for the majority of his career, and now you have such a polished rookie coming in. So he's somebody that I tend to shy away from. For me, a lot of the guys that I tend to avoid are typically veterans that I think are going to start to fall off. So, you know, Derrick Henry's been amazing for the majority of his career, and he's certainly coming off another great season and can be great once again, but he's going to be 29 years old, still going basically around the one-two turn. Um, I, I just can't you know, see that still being that successful when running backs at 27 start to fall off. He's now approaching that 30-year-old range where it could be a little detrimental to him. I hate to say Devontae Adams because he just got hurt today, but he's somebody that I've been avoiding. Um, I don't like the situation with Jimmy Garoppolo, quarterback. So uh, 30-year-old wide receiver, that's when that cliff starts to happen for, for that position. So, you know, two established veterans for me that I'm, I'm probably out on are going to be Devontae Adams and Derrick Henry. What's your approach for for injured or unsigned players, suspended players when it comes to when it comes to the draft? Like uh, Dalvin Cook, for example, unsigned, or or Jamison Williams is a guy I've like been really high on, but last year there was the injury, and then this year there's the suspension. Do you are you afraid to take those guys, or is it just about just about value? For for Jamison Williams, I draft him in almost every league that I'm in, and so I, I'm, I'm with you. I think there's. Like I said, this Detroit offense is, is poised for great things. He's going to be their, their deep threat. So, you know, in leagues where receptions count, he's not going to be great. But, you know, I think you look at the moves that they made, Marvin Jones, uh, you know, trading for Denzel Mims. You know, they're, they're searching for somebody there to step up in the absence of Jameson Williams. But none of those guys are going to keep him off the field once he's there. And I think some of the stories that came out the last couple of weeks are sort of motivate him a little bit to make sure he's doing all the things he's supposed to do while he's going to be out. So I love the situation for him. Um, in terms of like Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott and Leonard Fournette, the running backs that are out there, you know, I think if you just have a, a late round pick at this point, Dalvin's still going too high for me um, because I think if at this point, if he signs, unless he goes to Miami where there is an opening, uh, going to the Jets where Brees Hall at some point is going to get healthy and, and, and probably be the lead guy there. New England or Ramondre Stevenson will be the lead guy there. If there's a mystery team, I just don't know if there's a, a huge opening that's going to give him the chance to be the lead guy there. So, Aside from Miami, I think, again, if you're taking him in the first five rounds, to me, that's a mistake. And then you got the two guys at the top of the draft that have the questions about their contracts with Jonathan Taylor and Josh Jacobs. The lighter they fall, the better off you are. You know, so you can still draft them in round two and be fine. You know, hopefully they'll be there week one playing and doing what they do. Uh, but you're seeing them start to fall into round three. And I think if you get that type of value for what they can be, that's how you win your fantasy league by taking players like that. Why is there no hype around um, Chris Olave? He, he has this thousand-yard season. Yeah, it's only four touchdowns, but Garrett Wilson had four touchdowns, and it's 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 the the second-year wide receiver usually take up so much of the vacuum. Um, Drake London's getting some run, but it just feels like Chris Olave is just being forgotten right now. I, I I think maybe a little bit from a public perspective, just because Michael Thomas is back, and you know Derek Carr still getting some of the the headlines there. You have the Kamara suspension that you know finally got the news on. 
Um, so maybe he's gotten a little bit lost, but certainly fantasy managers that are doing drafts aren't forgetting about him. You know, he's basically being taken at that two, three turn, uh, early round three for sure. You know, so the way that I sort of look at with, with Olave is if Michael Thomas stays healthy, that's a little bit of a dent in, in the ceiling. If Michael Thomas does what he's done the last three years, which has missed the majority of the time, then Chris Olave is going to challenge to be a top 10 guy. So I do like Garrett Wilson a little bit better just because I think you look at what his role is in his offense and what he showed in his rookie campaign. Uh, but Olave is right after him. So there, there's there's a lot to like about this second-year class. You know, you mentioned three of them. London's a little tough because of the offense he plays in. Again, they're so pass-heavy, and can you trust Desmond Ritter supporting three guys when you factor in Bijan Robinson and Kyle Pitts? But Christian Watson's going to get a ton of targets and opportunities in Green Bay. So even though it's a quarterback downgrade, his opportunity is still there. Uh, don't forget about Jahan Dotson, who's the second guy in Washington, but actually led the commanders in receiving touchdowns last year despite missing five games with a hamstring injury. So, that's a nice player to build off of. And then now you're getting great value for guys like you mentioned, Jamison Williams before, but also Traylon Burks. You know, DeAndre Hopkins goes to Tennessee, and clearly that's a downgrade for Burks. But Ryan Tannehill, once upon a time, when he had a receiver like Hopkins when it was young A.J. Brown, the guy playing opposite him was Corey Davis, who was basically a top 30 wide receiver. And so Tannehill has proven he can support two of those guys. And Traylon Burks, by all accounts, is having a great offseason. He just got, you know, unfortunately, somebody on the field who's better than him and more proven but you're getting better value for Traylon Burks now, who could still be a number three fantasy receiver for the majority of the year. Jamie, uh, we always appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll connect soon as uh, fantasy season gets underway. That'd be great. Good to talk to you guys. Take care. It's uh, at Jamie Eisenberg on Twitter from CBS Sports uh, for their fantasy football coverage, and uh, the season is upon us. Hopefully you set your draft dates, and look, the big thing is get together in person. We, yeah. we, we've all done the pandemic drafting and Zooms and everything like that. If you've got friends across the country, it happens. I get it. Mm-hmm. But if you can do an in-person draft, the banter is nonstop. Oh, yeah. Especially, like, there's, there's always one guy that just is, like, maybe new to fantasy but mm-hmm. makes a bunch of weird picks, and you just roast him. No, my two favorite is that person and the person who drafts all the old guys because it's like, oh, yeah. hey, look, the veterans are just reliable. I'm taking only 27 and up. And yeah. every year – you're like, oh, this guy's not going to do anything. And sure enough, week 10, you're like, how is he in? <laughs> His team is like Derrick Henry, DeAndre it's, Hopkins. You're it, like, what's going on here? He's a four seed every single year. Yeah. You're like, I'm not making the playoffs because of this guy. Yeah. And all he did was draft 27, 28-year-olds. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're stuck with all those, like, the three rookies you took because you're like, one of them is going to pop, and they're all on your bench because they're just yeah. so and, and one of them does pop. Yeah. But now you've got two other holes on your roster. Yeah. And you're like, every year I do this. Mm-hmm. Every year. Like, the Derrick Henry one kills me. I've never had Derrick Henry in a fantasy league. No. but Never in my life. Because every year I'm like, this is the year he falls off. But it's like 1,500 yards, 13 yeah. touchdowns last year. Now, it's not 2,000 as he put up, mm-hmm. but it's it's still 1,500 yards. Yeah. 300-plus touches. And I guarantee this year, like, even if he's available, I just know that there's going to be a running back that I think is sexier, so I'm going to take that one instead. But then Derrick Henry is probably going to outperform them. Let's just do Derrick the exercise Henry. right now. I'll, I'll play. I'll bring up some ranks for you. Yeah. But I can tell you right now, it's like w- you'd rather have Saquon Barkley than Derrick Henry. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent for, sure. for sure. I'd rather have Bijan Robinson. Would you rather have Josh Jacobs? Yeah. It's it's like wild to me. Would you rather yeah. have R- Ramondre? Uh, probably. That that's where I would like. But, like go back so much of this is just vibes. Like at oh this, yeah, yeah, yeah. At this stage. Like, I, I think Ramondre Stevenson's fantastic. Yeah. But, like, Derek Hunter just puts up better numbers. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's, it's so hard to predict the falloff, though. Of and course. you never want to be the but guy that's think, stuck with the I also fall-off. think it's just this, like, vortex that you get stuck into. Like, 
who enjoys watching Tennessee Titans football? Yeah. I, I would enjoy it way more if I had Derrick Henry on my but fantasy like, would you, team. But would you go out of your way to watch a Titans game? Dude, I'd like any, I feel like the Titans anybody are like one on of the my most, fantasy team, i go out of my way to watch. I feel like the Titans are like one of the most res- disrespected teams in North American sports right now. Even people I in think Nashville the, don't like watching the Titans. <laughs> that, I don't know <laughs> yeah. if that's true. <laughs> Maybe it's like, their, I blame their branding. But like, so the, the Titans fans get like ornery about it, too, and I love it. And I've been part of the, the Titans – hating group as well seasons past i've come around a bit on it because it's a stable coach smart coach and they just pummel teams Mm -hmm. and all the hype goes towards the colts who haven't won an afc south division title since i think 2015 or 2014 but every year it's like the colts the colts the colts it's almost as if the residual peyton manning hype and andrew luck hype still exists in the afc south yeah. No one pays attention to the Titans. They've got they've gotten a number one seed in recent memory with Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback, and still everyone's like, "Oh, the Titans, whatever." And Derrick Henry's there, stiff arming guys, running for fifteen hundred plus. It's like, oh, I'll still take Ramondre Stevenson over Derrick Henry. Yeah, but I mean, like the thing the thing is, I'm at, like I'm aware of the disrespect I'm giving them. Yeah, I'm just no, I can't stop doing it. That, that that's it's you're supposed to correct your behavior. In it's ingrained in me, even the like. <laughs> Well, we talk about, like, the hype of teams in the AFC South, for example. Like, Jacksonville, I'm way more hyped about than, like, exactly. really any team except for maybe the Texans. I'm not very hyped about the Texans. I, I think that's what needs to happen for, for Tennessee. They need to have their Jacksonville phase. Yeah. Where it's like they're so bad that it's like, oh, the Jaguars, mm-hmm. that people are almost rooting for you to have some success finally. And then when you start to have a little bit, it's like, all aboard the Jaguars, man. <laughs> yeah. The Titans need, like... They gotta get a. They gotta find a new quarterback, rebrand, and then I'm all in. They just gotta wear the Oilers jerseys. Yes, 17 games Dude, a year. It'd, it'd be, be so awesome. nice. I'd be all in. Those powder blues. All right, we gotta run a break. Big thanks to uh, Jamie Eisenberg. Uh, keep coming in with your thoughts. 650, 650. Anything you want to talk about, we're happy to talk with you uh, into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox at a nooner at the Nat on location at Nat Bailey Stadium. Pumped up. For a game, Canadians, Dust Devils uh, getting going just an hour from now. Tyler Zickel will have the call on our airwaves uh, for the Nooner. we got one more hour to go. Uh, come by, say hi to us. Uh, we'll be talking to a few more people around here as we get ready for this Nooner coming up in an hour on Sportsnet 650. Are we tied? Come on, What a game, huh? Robbers on the corner, it's two outs. One of the most iconic moments in sport in the last 15, 20 years. October 2015, Jose Bautista, the bat flip. He's going into uh, a a special day tomorrow. Level of excellence. Level of excellence uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays. I will get into that in just a bit. Also, uh, some breaking news. Vancouver Canucks did just sign uh, P.U. Suter to a two-year, $1.6 million AAV deal. We'll get into that in a couple of minutes. But our good friend Tyler Zickel, you hear him on our airwaves, the voice of the Canadians. He's uh, stopping by our booth. TZ, what's going on? Good day, boys. Oh, actually, let's uh, turn your mic on. How about that? Is that better? 
Check one, two. There we go. There I am. Good day, boys. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Thanks for unmuting my mic as well. I mean, (laughs) I'm sure plenty of our listeners on Sportsnet have had enough of me here in August. No, no, no. We take what we can get, you know? Captive audience. Absolutely. Uh, An hour away from uh, your voice being back on the airwaves for a game against the Dust Devils. How's it been going? Seas are hot. We were just compiling the stats moments ago. Third best record in all of minor league baseball. Triple-A Dodgers and single-A Phillies are the only two teams with a better winning percentage than Brent LaValle's bunch. This team does things that time and time again continue to make me say, wow, last night, giving up the lead in the top of the eighth, mm-hmm. they had been 40-1 and one in games they were leading after the seventh. They're down by a run, and then in the bottom of the eighth, they score two to take the lead, and last night the Canadians win it 3-2. to two. Finding ways to win, whether or not all systems are clicking on the same side, that's the mark of a great team, and Brent LaValle has got these guys firing on all cylinders. Yeah, so I was going to ask, has it been has it been one thing for this team? Because sometimes you look at a team and it's all offense or it's all pitching, but what, what has it been for the Canadians lately? This is a balanced group for mm-hmm. sure. This is ninth season of minor league baseball for me, my sixth season in the Blue Jays org. I was with the Fisher Cats in 2018 with John Schneider, Vladdy, Bo, Cavan, Jordan, all with – tearing up the Eastern League and winning the championship that year. This team is as good, if not better. You had the star power, the prospect power on that team in 2018, and there are some prospect studs on this roster, but the pitching is the best staff in the league based on Team ERA. The hitting, second best team average, but the best run differential in the business as well, so they're finding ways to do it all. If there was an Achilles heel, it's the defense, but even that is serviceable, and even when the defense is not as good as it's been, they're going to just go out and make their pitches and find ways to get clutch hits, so long way to say, this is a balanced team that can beat you any way that you try and get beat when you're having such a successful season and you're getting to the back end of the season what's important now for these last uh, six weeks yeah this is an interesting time clinching the first half of course so these games in the second half well they don't have the same gravitas for the playoff race for the canadians they're still trying to get better as individuals and of course in the minor leagues so much is made about development at the cost of winning sometimes but then you could say winning also breeds development so the goal now in the second half that Brent has laid out for the guys is to continue to work on the plan that the Blue Jays has put together for each of these individual players while at the same time continuing to understand you can't take your foot off the gas and the Canadians are leading the second half standings as well so they've been able to really find that juice even though these games don't have bearing on whether or not the Canadians will make the playoffs they're still finding ways for individual guys to not only get better but still get promoted in fact Michael Tricconi was promoted last week probably our best overall player other than Alan Roden who got promoted to New Hampshire about a month ago now so guys are still making the call and the guys who are coming up from single aid Dunedin they're plugging right in and they're continuing to go we've got Joe Sclafani uh, who's in charge of all the minor league players here this week and he's saying this team has just found ways to continue to impress him so the fact that the Blue Jays brass are really pleased with what's going on with the Canadians this year just speaks volumes you mentioned it's been a balanced group this year. Have there been a couple standout performances? I know you mentioned like the call-ups, uh, the guys who have been called up, but guys who are still on the team, who's been who's been the standout so far? This yeah, year? up the middle we've got Cade Doty and Josh Kasovich. Kasovich, second rounder out of Oregon. Cade Doty, second round, competitive balance pick in that same round, so a little bit after Josh out of LSU. Second base for Doty, shortstop for Kasovich. First year, full season as pros. They made their pro debut last year in Dunedin. But now that they've come to learn what it takes every day in a full season, April to September, to be ready to perform at your best, those guys have been really good and guys that you can count on in the middle of the order. We've seen the big piece from number 20 prospect Alex DeJesus. He was in the Mitch White deal with the Dodgers last year. Had to get acclimated to the Blue Jays system last season down the stretch with the Canadians, back with the Seas this year, and performing at that high level. 
making the Blue Jays look like they won the trade with the Dodgers because the guy they sent over to L.A., a pitcher, hasn't been performing as well in their minor league system. So DeJesus, who hit for the cycle in, on July 4th down in Hillsborough, team leader in RBI. He's got 59 now and even bounced back from a seven-day stint on the injured list and has looked like he didn't miss a beat. And another guy who's come to be quite good off to the injured list, Peyton Williams, six foot five, 255-pound, corn-fed Johnston, Iowa native, hitting homer after homer after homer, a combined 827 feet of homers this week for Peyton. So lots of guys finding ways to do it. Whenever I tune in or I see tweets from the Canadians' uh, account, I feel like a Brown is doing something. <laughs> yes. Devonta, someone's doing something. It <laughs> yes. uh, just speaks about their season as well. Well, what can Brown do for you? Yeah, Desan 100%. can do it for you. Last night he was the spark plug in that eighth inning rally, a hit by pitch. Then he goes first to third on a single to right. Uh, Devontae Brown, unsigned or undrafted rather, out of NC State last year. Is it 12 year. home runs right now? He's at 11 okay. home runs. Good research, though, yeah. for sure. Double-digit jacks. A guy, I don't know how he went undrafted, but great defender. He's played all three outfield spots and first base for the first time in his whole entire life, and he's doing it in high A, which is a testament to his athleticism. But it's funny. We put out the lineups that say D. Brown, <laughs> so we leave it as a little bit of a question mark for fans. Is it center field? It's probably Desan. Is it first base? It's definitely Devontae. But whether it's Desan or Devontae, those guys, really putting on for the brown name that's for sure is there a guy that that might be uh on the verge of a breakout that that you could see coming soon here i think somebody that we've been trying to get on the show adam Mako, pride of vancouver right. families in stony plain alberta relocated from europe as a kid this is somebody who was really solid last night seven strikeouts or rather two nights ago seven strikeouts in four innings of work that matches a single game season high up and down for him inconsistent to start he was in the Teoscar Hernandez deal along with Eric Swanson coming over from Seattle in the offseason last year he's starting to figure it out lefty just 22 years old somebody who has fully acclimated now to the Blue Jays way and back-to-back starts he's been very dialed in five scoreless a week ago down in Hillsborough as well he's somebody I'm excited to see make a playoff start in September and I'm excited to hear what he has to say when we finally get him on the show before one of these nooners because he's not pitching on Fridays anymore uh you're 50 minutes away from going on air, so I know we got to let you go. <laughs> but I do good. want to ask uh, Hunter Gregory pitching today. Hunter Gregory today. Now, he's had some good strikeouts and, and maybe some bad luck with some performances, but the strikeouts are there for him. Yeah, averaging just under 10 strikeouts per nine innings pitch, and anytime you've got mm-hmm. over nine strikeouts per nine innings, you're certainly finding ways to miss bats. And you're right, it's certainly been some bad luck for this mm-hmm. guy. Uh, Ninth-round pick out of Old Dominion a couple of years ago. He was injured with a knee injury earlier this season that had him miss about two months. He was a starter to begin the season, came back. They put him into the rotation, but after some call-ups and some trades, he's now become this starter for Friday. He'll go three innings today, but a guy who's got great swing and miss stuff and has had just maybe one or two pitches get away from him. Mm-hmm. There have been a couple of home runs in games as he's pitched in that have kind of turned the tide. So the ERA right around six right now, but that doesn't tell the whole story. The strikeouts and the opponent's batting average against certainly show that Hunter's got what it takes to succeed in high A and then in the upper minors soon enough. Well, the doors are open. People have flooded in. I know when you sat down, it's like, this is awesome. People yeah. just lined up outside, and it's a gorgeous day. So you still got time to come down. Uh, CanadiansBaseball.com if you want to grab your tickets or grab them here. Uh, it's going to be a fun day. TZ, you always appreciate it. Have a good call, man. Cheers, boys. Go Seas. Playoffs start September 12th, but September 15th here at the Nat Game 3. Could be a three-game sweep, so stay tuned. Brilliant. Uh, you'll right. hear them in a bit. Tyler, appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys. That's our guy, Tyler Zickel. Hour away from uh, first pitch. On our airwaves, Sportsnet 650, home of the Canadians as well. Cannot wait. Season uh, coming to a close soon, but they're having a fantastic year. I didn't know that, as he said. Uh, third best uh, minor league record across all yeah. minor league baseball. They've been not, r- not just uh, single A. 
Everywhere. Yeah, triple A, double A, low A. All Crushing the A's. It. Crushing um, it. They're and A yeah. plus right now. I, I feel like it's also hard in, in uh, single A or in minor leagues in general because you have the first half, second half playoff structure. When you win the first half, you would assume that in the second half it's it's easy to take your foot off the gas, but uh, not for the Canadians. All right, as we mentioned right before we uh, spoke to Tyler, Vancouver Canucks making a transaction. A spicy one. Well, not very spicy. Hugh Suter is uh, the newest member of your Vancouver Canucks. A two-year deal for $1.6 million per $3.2 million total money. It does beg the question, they gave him more total money than Teddy Bluger? I think he's a better player than Teddy Bluger. Yeah, maybe. I'm open to the debate. But if it feels like Teddy Bluger just like uh, doing the show me deal and jumped on it quickly, uh, P.U. Suter gets a two-year deal from Patrick Alvine and the Vancouver Canucks Brass. Another yeah. forward amongst the ranks. This one, look, I for me personally, like I'm a big Pius Suter guy, mm-hmm. and I he was one of the underrated options that mm-hmm. I think a lot of people were really into uh, this off season as someone that you could bring in for less than two million that can center your third line, and I think that's what he's going to do here. I think he's going to be the third line center. He has more offensive upside than Teddy Bluger does, and it just kind of pushes everyone down a bit like because now you don't have to play teddy bluger at center if you don't want to he could be on the wing well, or I think he could more be fourth line center more importantly it's another body for competition yes and, and so it. hey if teddy bluger works out and it's, it's looking fantastic on the third line great but there's going to be bumps over the course of a season and someone's going to slow down and now you say hey we, we don't have the luxury especially with how competitive the pacific division is going to be we don't have the luxury to work through someone's problems no and then you're still making some projections of like, hey, Nils Oman, can you step into a role that's a little elevated for you right now and cover a gap while someone's going through a cold streak? Well, here comes P.U. Suter. Suddenly, there's going to be healthy competition amongst those positions at low cost of acquisition. And now you're going to generate this, this constant uh, push for ice time. And that's a good outcome. And the thing uh, I know Faber and I were talking about it yesterday is if there was an injury, it felt like there was really no one that could step up and, and be like play in the bottom six as a center for this team, except right. for Atu Ratu. Yeah. And even then, you kind of you probably don't want to mess with his development. You want him to be playing a lot in Abbotsford. This makes it so that if Oman is out for a few games or Bluger, Actually, you no, have more importantly, if, if Miller is out for yes. three weeks – now, this isn't a perfect option, but this is at least someone that's put up 15 goals in the season. It's better than Teddy Bluger. It's, that's what it is. Yes. And, again, we're talking about for three weeks, if Pedersen or Miller go down, it's an option. Mm-hmm. It's a more viable option that you're not projecting, hey, Teddy Bluger, can you be part of a, a, a play-driving, point-producing line? Yeah. And suddenly, Pew Suter can at least provide you a bottom line if a scenario develops where he has to go elevated up the lineup. Definitely. And I think, so in terms of when everyone on this on this team is healthy with Pew Suter, I think he's also, is he your first PK unit guy? Like, because this also gives you the option mm-hmm. to not have to play Miller or Patterson as the big on thing, the penalty kick, right? Too. Like that's the big thing. The, the, I think the the underlying numbers uh, for Pew Suter PK, if I'm not mistaken, are quite favorable. He, yeah, he um, was, uh, the he, big thing I was looking at though too, and some people are already texting in. 
is what do the face-off numbers look like? Because it's a big concern. Horvat goes out, and suddenly it's like, where are the face-off opportunities going to come from for the Vancouver Canucks? This is one where we're looking at someone that can uh, provide some. Now, historically, he's been sub-50%. He hovers around 49%. I've referenced this a lot, though, when it comes to uh, shorthanded time uh, and, and shorthanded face-off wins. It is so hard to find guys that are above 50%. So expecting someone to be in that range is a bit unrealistic because there's only like 30 guys that actually do that across the league. Yeah, uh, 650, 650, the Dunbar-Lumbertsack line. Uh, Bluger is a fourth-line center. Suter is an upgrade in case Pedersen or Miller get hurt, kind of what kind of what you were saying there. I, I really like Bluger's defensive game. Yeah. Like, I, I think Bluger's defensive side of his game is a third-line player. Sure. But you have to bring in all the elements of the equation. I also just wonder if the Canucks, with how their wingers are set up, is, like, was he going to be put in a position to be a matchup center if he was going to be playing with Connor Garland and – sure. PDG or Anthony mm-hmm. Beauvillier or whoever it is. Uh, whereas now, like, if he's on the fourth line playing with Dakota Joshua and Vasily Podkolzin, that might be a more of a of a shutdown line or at least something they try to deploy as a matchup line than, than it was before. Uh, whereas Pia Suter, I, I think, is a guy that can provide depth scoring while also holding his own in his in his defensive end. I, I wouldn't even say holding his own. I think he's he's pretty above average in his own end, which is something we all know the Vancouver Canucks really need. Desperately need right now, and it, it would be a big boost. And it, I, I think, too, I don't think you need to look at him as a just a pure center and trying to do this bluger suitor thing three and four. Why can he play a wing? I was also going to say, like, if he hits, and he would have to hit at a pretty high level, but does this give you the option to put Miller on the wing if you want to as well? Uh, and, and, like, I don't think that's that's an option you want to go to right away. It's more if Miller has some struggles at some point during mm-hmm. the season. But, again, it gives you, like, the Canucks had no, had very limited flexibility before this, and it just gives you that little bit more than than what you had before. Uh, just to catch you up again, P.U. Suter does sign a two-year deal with your Vancouver Canucks at $1.6 million. And again, his face-off percentage in, in shorthanded situations is uh, below 40%, so it's not the perfect spot. I'm, I'm still trusting Teddy Bluger in yes. a defensive role, uh, PK-wise, uh, over him, but it's certainly another body for the PK. Because that was the thing, it's... If, if you're going to put Dakota Joshua in this lineup, is that a PK role that he can craft out? I still would rather have Suter there. I'd still rather have Mikheyev there. I'd still now rather have uh, Suter there. PDG is out of body that features there. So it, it, it's starting to develop the depth uh, for what this team could have. Yeah, and it, it pushes someone like – because we've, we've seen the Canucks in the last few years as well when it comes to the penalty kill – uh, deploy kind of three pairs of forwards. It pushes Miller or Pedersen down to the third option as opposed to uh, having to be the second option. And, and that's going to go really far in, in giving those guys more offensive minutes as opposed to having to play in all situations. Uh, more of your reaction on that in just a bit. But as mentioned, it's the People Show on location over at Nat Bailey Stadium. First pitch in about a half hour. A lot of people out front uh, have stopped by our booth to uh, wave at us and get ready to go inside. You can also stop by the Fortis BC booth, uh, which is just to the left of us here. And uh, there are uh, 
helping raise awareness. You've heard of the commercials. Call before you dig. They are here on location to help you out with that as well. And joining us now is Tanya Kowalenko. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Beautiful day to be here. And uh, I always love it when we set up. You guys are usually nearby. And uh, how's it been going today? It's it's packed. It's great. I'm super happy that the fire department's here, too, to talk to everybody and raise all this awareness. So it's a good day. It was drizzly last year, so this is great. That's right. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. When you joined us last year, it was a little bit of raining, and, 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 we, and we had to overcome. Uh, but you know, we, we hear the commercials, we see the slogan and everything like that. And, and one thing I always think about is, you know, we, you've, you've, the, the slogan's been going on for years. These moments and, and these chances to connect to the community and, and describe how important that is. How many situations do you guys get a year where, where it does still happen? 900 last year. Wow. Yeah, more than we like by a long shot. Mm -hmm. It's all preventable, so that's why we're here. And the education is people think that lines are a lot deeper than they are, so if they're pitching a tent for the kids to camp in the backyard in the summertime, that um, they don't need to call before you dig, but even putting that stake for your tent in the back can cause a problem. Right, and so how, how far does a day like this go where you can, you can reach – so many people going into a situation like this where um, you can make that many people more aware on, on a day like this? Yeah, I mean, the more people we can talk to, we hopefully spread that message to everyone we talk to. So there's over 6,000 people here. It's a great sellout today. So hopefully between our messages in the park and out at the booth that we will reach everybody. I, I know my eyebrows raised when you just said, hey, just pitching a tent in the backyard mm -hmm. does it. When you Because when we think call before you dig. I think people think like like pickaxe and a shovel, but we're talking something as simple as... We call it ground disturbance because it's right. not just excavating. You mm -hmm. don't need to have a big digger in your backyard, you know, that's going on. It can be a shovel. It can be um, just driving a, a, a post in to put your house up for sale. Right. We have that. Wow. Yeah. So it could be really anything. Yeah. yeah. Is there... So in terms of like how... So, so you said 900... In terms of ways they can prevent that, is it just as simple as, like, anytime you're putting anything in the ground, just, just give Fortis a call just to be safe? So it's actually not Fortis. We want you to or call BC1 Call. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. That's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So, we, yeah, we call BC1 Call. They'll, um, you'll submit a map of where you're going to dig, and we'll let you know what's there, and then you follow the rules um, for that area on what you can dig with or if you can dig at all. So what are the ramifications? We think, okay, 900, <laughs> how, how many is that and in the context? But, like, when we're talking about the far-reaching implications of, of one of these incidents, what happens? Well, I mean, most people care about the financial impact, mm -hmm. but to be honest, that's not what we talk about. There is impact. It is gas. If something goes wrong, there is, there is dire consequences with it. So we educate just what happens when you hit a line to back away and call 911 in Fortis, BC, not to try to handle it yourself. How widespread can those can those problems get? Well, it depends because we have different size lines. So mm -hmm. when we uh, when the fire department comes to help us out, they stay 100 meters back. Yeah. Right on. Uh, again, if you come by Nat Bailey Stadium, Tanya, her staff, uh, just a couple of feet away from us, uh, you got a big uh, tic tac no <laughs> yeah. board going on. I saw it's a fantastic interactive way to to understand more. So come on by. If people want to reach you or find out more details online, how can they do that? BC One Call. That's what we drive everybody to. As much as we're here for, uh, to represent Fortis BC, it's all about driving people to use the One Call service. Tanya, we really appreciate it. Have a good day, and I uh, hope you're enjoying this, uh, the summer. Thank you. That is uh, Tanya Kowalenko joining us here today over at Nat Bailey Stadium. Come by, say hi to us. Make sure you stop by their booth as well as you get ready for a Vancouver Canadiens game versus the Tri-City Dust Devils at Nat Bailey Stadium, a nooner. At the net, uh, more of your reaction on the other side.
PU Suter, official. Vancouver Canuck, two-year deal for $3.2 million total money, $1.6 million AAV. Always got to sneak in the total money. You know me, I'm a total money nerd. So are, uh, so are all the players in the NHL. Facts only. Yeah. Facts only. Uh, so the newest member of your Vancouver Canucks will get more reaction uh, on the other side as it's a, another body. And I know people are thinking, wait, they signed another forward? Where's where, where's the money coming They're from? We're already negative cash. How, how do they do this? Uh, we'll talk about those implications on the other side. And anything else that's on your mind? We mentioned the Jose Bautista clip. Right. I, I think Josh has got a take about uh, one-day contracts. Uh, we'll do that on the other side as well. That's the People Show live on location. Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the Traveling Kintech Studio. That was good. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. People Show brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. You like that one? I think that's traveling. my favorite one. I think I like it more than mobile and portable. Yeah, I'm traveling. traveling. All right, I, I'm adapting it as the... Uh, the new one, then. It's like a traveling circus. Yeah. But it's, it's just us. It's just us. I, I forgot to do it at the, the first one. You can you can have one at the end. But I don't know what else I would call it. I haven't, I haven't thought about one, I guess. you got time. you kind of out of synonyms now. 25 minutes. Uh, again, as we uh, mentioned and as people are reacting in the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, 650-650. Oh, my God, hockey content in August. Time to milk this till training camp. Oh, you that's, know we uh, will. That's Scott in Calgary. P.U. Suter, your, no, your newest member of the Vancouver Canucks, signing a two-year deal, $1.6 million AAV, annual average value. I always forget to say the full non-acronym. Yeah, some, so some people don't know. Some people don't know. Uh, so that's what his cap hit is. And we, we briefly touched on, uh, you know, the impact and where he could play uh, earlier. But now it's the financial ramifications of it because we've come into this offseason of, hey, they got a clear space, got a clear space. This guy, Garland, Myers, Besser, Beauvillier, someone's going to have to go at some point. And they've added more money. Now they bought out OEL, of course. So that helps. But that comes at a cost, not just uh, – the cap hit, it is more of a worst-case scenario decision when you decide to buy someone out, especially of that magnitude. Mm-hmm. But there's this constant struggle of, like, where's where do they think they have this space? Right. And P.U. Suter now gets a $1.6 million deal when they were already over the cap. Mm-hmm. And so Rick Dollywell tweeting out, believe without trading anyone, the Canucks have a way to be cap compliant after Suter signing. So obviously there's a yes. belief within the Canucks front office that they do think they can get under the cap here with, with no issues. Cap compliance is yes. the thing. But it is the thing that the, it's just like everything's just getting a bit more squeezed, a bit more yeah. squeezed. And, yeah, I still picture that there was a way because there was about, uh, I think, $2.1 million of space to play around with with the Pearson and Pullman LTI situations. Yeah. But, again, it's still like 
It's really tight. The the demand to try to ease up on some of the contractual burdens that are on this team have to get alleviated at some point. Now, Myers' contract is expiring, so that does a little bit. But, boy, it's, uh, it's a two-year deal. Yeah, I, I will say this makes it seem all that more unlikely that Tanner Pearson will play this year. Sure. Uh, well, which, which always felt hopeful. And there was yeah. a, the comment from Patrick Alvin. It's like, hey, we're hoping him – uh, like like there's a chance that he could be ready for training camp. That always felt optimistic at best. But this is kind of another another body there that just gets in the way of that happening, and maybe it's cover for that. But also, as someone's texting in, 650-650, something that we didn't get a chance to uh, discuss just yet, eh, what does this mean for Colson and Hoaglander? It's now another body in the way of the forward group that – we're talking someone that has credible production at the NHL level. Right. We're consistently 14 goals in his three seasons in the NHL. I don't It's getting tougher. To me, this impacts. Like, to me, this doesn't affect. To me, this impacts. Right, Neil but it, it's, it's, it's factually another body. Yes, sure. So, but is it so another body that the lineup, now it's like, it seems more and more like you're going down into the AHL. Which is a fine outcome for someone like Vasily Colson. Keep working on your game, mm-hmm. but we know that there's a situation developing with Nils Oglander. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah you gotta worry in the lineup. About the yeah, and all spots that. in the lineup are getting eaten up pretty fast here. Yeah, and look, I will say, I think for both of them, they kind of have to come into training camp and preseason, regardless of if they had signed Suter or not, with a mindset that like they have to be above and beyond mm-hmm. where they were last year, even just to get a spot on the roster. Um, but then, it, like, I also come back to the, the cap situation, and I'm like, do they still want to maybe move a body out before the season starts? And that, that would free up a spot, especially if it's a winger, for someone like Niels Hoaglander or Vasily Potkolzin. And again, to me, like, I know, I know in terms of bodies, there's now there's another guy you add. But in terms of actually looking at the lineup and, and how it will be constructed, to me, that's less of a less of a Niels Hoaglander facility pot goals and impact and more of a Niels Oman Niels Oman maybe even Teddy Bluger but I think Bluger's better than Oman so they, I, I think it's a, a Niels Oman situation more than it is a Hoaglander or pot goals Niels Oman you can throw in Sheldon Drys in there yeah PG, yeah that group of players because of the center impact of it is, is more impact is is more direct mm-hmm. with those players again I do think Pew Suter can play off of a wing if you really want to uh, thrust him with some more minutes rather than breaking up Bluger and and uh, Suter. There's a way to get those guys on because they were s- smart, responsible players. Uh, but a a new signing for the Vancouver Canucks today with uh, Pew Suter uh, coming into the fold. So what's your I, I, I like – okay, the big thing that I really like here is one of the concerns we had was offensive pop in the bottom six. Now, let's say it's another credible guy who can score goals. And it, it's not even just about a projection. Like Last year, when we talked about someone like Dakota Joshua, I really enjoyed the fact that, like, hey, it was a nice signing, someone who can come in, but you're making a bit of a projection on what that guy could do because we're talking about a high watermark of eight points. The, the underlying numbers look good, and you say, okay, what can this guy do if put in a different role, more games, and Dakota Joshua does what he needed to do, clips 20 points, you're thinking, hey, okay, cool, that's a nice step. Yeah. This is not really a projection. P.U. Suter has done it. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be the question of uh, Dakota Joshua, can you do it over again? 
this is like if you needed a little bit more pop in your in your scoring, um, he provides that. Yes, and, and to your point, he has done it before. Uh, been in the NHL for three years, 27 points in 55 games in his rookie year, 36 and 82 his second. Last year was a bit of a drop, 24 in 79. Um, he just he has more offensive upside again to than than somebody like Teddy Bluger. Like that was my concern if Bluger was going to be your third line center was I I like him as a defensive option, but. If you're going to be playing him with Connor Garland and, and Anthony Beauvillier or whoever it is as that other winger, maybe it's Vasily Podkolzin or Hoaglander, I just didn't think that would play into Bluger's strengths as much as I think Suter can play into those guys' strengths. And I, I'm really interested to see if they do keep – like if Connor Garland is on the roster to start the season, I wonder if that's the third pair of players, you know, because we talk about – um, Pedersen and Kuzmenko, Miller and Besser. I wonder if it's Suter and Garland on the on the third line as a as two guys that yeah they might move around, but generally the the real pairing that we're talking about. Yeah, right. Because as you mentioned, Kuzmenko, Pedersen, Besser, Miller. Mm-hmm. Is it now uh, Suter and Garland yeah. together? Because you know Garland's probably going to be on the third line. It's mm-hmm. hard to see him moving up unless uh, Besser has a really bad camp or Kuzmenko regresses a crazy amount like we kind of talked about earlier. So that feels like kind of the easy option to me, and um, it's something like that. That's what I would be interested in seeing for sure. Keep getting your reaction in 650-650. We'll read your thoughts here as we got another uh, 10-12 minutes here on location at Nat Bailey Stadium, getting ready for a nooner at the Nat. Tyler Zickel will have your call uh, coming up at the top of the hour as the Canadians are against the Dust Devils today. That's coming up on Sportsnet 650. Southeast Van Drew, uh, rather Southeast Van Drew. Southeast uh, Van Drew. (laughs) I I did the same thing. (laughs) Said, I love the PU Suter signing. Huge Canucks news today. A lot of optimism uh, coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. 650-650. Yep, exactly. Nils Oman drives down to the minors uh, playing probably in in situations where they're better suited. And I will say, hey, they they provided something last year, right? And I think it's just nice to have those guys as call-ups. Again, Mm -hmm. because I mentioned earlier, well, it's depth, right? Something yeah, like they, they didn't really have depth that yeah. they could call on. It was a point I was making about a, a month ago of, like, Sheldon Dries for, for all these things. Like, he did provide 11 goals. It, it, the overall scoring, I feel like this team, we, we, we project and we're like, oh, hey, they have offensive talent. Well, like, they've, they've removed some goals from their team. Horvat has gone in. Yes, Bovillier has come in. Yes, Philip Ronick has come in. Uh, and, and there's some things that you can mask as much as you can. But there's less offensive pop than where we started last season. And now, yes. I'm not saying Suter is going to be the thing that that solves it all. He's not the, the antidote for it all. But Suter with Bovillier, with Horonic, with Susie, with another guy. Now you're kind of doing it through four or five pieces rather than a direct one for one. And is this someone that can feature on a second unit power play because he's got some offensive ability? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be able to provide that? And again, Sheldon Dries did provide you 11 goals last year. Here's someone that has done that and a little bit more consistently at the NHL level. And then also adds to the like his his calling card. Suiters is is being a defensively sound forward, and so he has that plus a little bit more in the offensive end. 
uh, than someone like Sheldon Dries does. And again, it just feels more. That was the thing with, with, with Dries for me is from the center line to the offensive zone, goal line. Knew where to be, could facilitate the puck, obviously could score, had a couple of nice goals. And on the power play, was constantly moving, getting in the right spots, showing for teammates, and just an intelligent, crafty offensive player. Mm-hmm. Center line backwards, there was a lot of question marks. Yeah. And because of you know transactions and, and being thrust into role, like, yeah, like he played 63 games last year. Mm-hmm. It was too many, and there was too many nights where you just saw it's like, defensively, this isn't going to work. Now, suddenly you throw in Bluger, suddenly throw in P.U. Suter from where we were last year to where we are now. And there's just stability down the middle, plus with offensive upside. And honestly, like, look, I know, I know, we all kind of had tempered excitement about what the the Canucks did this season within reason or off season within reason because you can't get s- super pumped about Teddy Bluger, Ian Cole, and and Carson Soucy. There's there's smart low leverage bets. Yeah, and it's again the same to me with Pew Suter. Is this isn't a high risk? But it's a guy, it makes the lineup feel more legit. Yes. It feels like this is a lineup that, again, if they stay healthy, it can realistically be a playoff team. Whereas to me, it felt more like a long shot. And, like, Suter doesn't put them way over the top. It just feels like they were already on the borderline, and this might push them in a better direction than where they were before. This is at least a contingency plan. Because now, again, the the issue was, hey, if if an injury happens – it's asking a lot of Atu Ratu to step into the top six role and say, hey, you're the guy. Mm-hmm. Like, help help stop the bleeding of Pedersen or Miller going down. P.U. Suter's not the perfect solution, but at least it's a contingency plan. There's no perfect solution when you lose a top six center. If Demko goes down, it's, okay, Seelovs, can you play for five weeks? And goalies are weird. Like, he could just be good. It's fine. It, it could just work, right? Yes. But that's a contingency plan. It's someone yeah. that's internal. You've developed, hey, for five weeks, if we need you, can we do this? Yes, that's a contingency, contingency plan. Hughes goes down. It's asking a lot. Obviously, it's a huge blow. Heronic's there. That's a contingency plan. The one contingency plan they didn't have was where Miller and Pedersen would go down. This is now providing that to some degree. And an interesting player, and again, as you mentioned, who uh, while if that situation develops, there's going to be an offensive expectation. His main primary focus here is help out defensively. Yes, for sure. And I'm really interested to see how they structure, when it comes to defense, the the penalty kill. Or, sorry, I shouldn't say when it comes to defense. The forwards on the penalty yes. kill and, and how they approach it with those guys. Because I really want to see Suter on, like I know in Detroit last year, he was one of their main penalty, penalty killers. Um, and I really want to see that carry over into Vancouver. Like, I think he's a really, really good penalty killer, and we know how bad the penalty kill was last year. Like, if the if the first unit over the boards is, uh, when it comes to forwards, Suter and Mikheyev, I'm really content with that. And then you can put Bluger and Joshua out there, and, and then maybe you got to go to Miller. But again, the, I mentioned it earlier, the thing that excites me about this penalty kill now is that you don't have to put Miller or Pedersen out there. And, and will that make them more efficient at what they actually are getting paid to do? Especially JT Miller. Yes. Because it's like, man. Pedersen, I honestly have zero concerns about putting Pedersen on the PK. I think he should be on the PK. 
You've made this argument a this lot. Is, this and, is my thing. And, and Miller can, again, win face-offs on the PK, so there's value in doing that. Yeah. Is it a Miller-Suter scenario and a Bluger-Mikheyev scenario? Whatever it is. Um, but limiting the minutes of just the overall usage of JT Miller. And I don't mean that as like a negative. It's like, oh, this guy's no good. you got to get him down to like 14 minutes. I would rather see JT Miller play an efficient 19 minutes than exhausted 22 minutes. And that's what we're talking about here. And it seems small. It's like, oh, you're just shaving three minutes off. It's big over the context of 82 games. Yeah, three and, times 80, you're looking at 240 minutes. And, over and, and now we're talking, it's like, can you stretch this into um, a, a guy who, through inefficiencies, was getting to 80 points? If he's fresher, is it someone that's pushing 85, 87, 90 points all of a sudden? That's the difference. And if you have Suter and Bluger, even five-on-five as your two – those two bottom six lines as your matchup lines, can you deploy JT Miller in way more offensive situations than he was in before? And, we like, you mentioned shaving a few minutes off. We talked about this a lot this offseason with with Tyler Myers. It's like it's realistic to think that he could show – Myers, to a lesser extent, he can show more – in less minutes just because right. he's been overplayed. And I, I wonder if the same is true with Miller. And obviously he's not It's he's not at the level of poor play that Tyler Myers has been in, in the past couple of years. But can you see a return to 90 points for JT Miller if he's, if he's played in more offensive situations? If they're stable line mates, it's, it's, he's got to take another step, obviously, from where he was last year. But yeah. he's done 99. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like 85 is the number. And, again, we were talking earlier because Manko and projections. Uh, for me, uh, JT Miller, you're getting paid $8 million, $100,000 a point. 80 is the baseline. Yes. To, to thrive and have success, 85 is 90s. It's going to be closer to the number I want to see from JT Miller. And does this signing today, P.U. Suter, for two years, $1.6 million, alleviate some of the defensive burden to to go be able to put up some of those points? 650-650. Brendan G. texts in. Uh, it's kind of the question now. Who do you guys project as the 3C now, Suter or Teddy Bluger? Well, suddenly we have another camp battle to keep an eye on all of a sudden. Yeah, there, there was already the Susie Cole, who gets to play with um, Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes. Um, the incumbent, probably Ian Cole, but hey, I'm open to camp battles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if all three succeed, Susie, Cole, and Ronick, like, imagine a scenario where Susie and Cole are both hits and you could play them together. They're in a dream. But I'm just saying, yeah. like, hey, like, let's dare to dream for a moment. Yeah. Like, th- there could be a scenario where all three guys are, it's like, hey, this works, this is functional. And you could put Hughes and Hronick together. That's going to be a fun camp battle to look at, how those three guys are performing. Hronick's a little. Uh, more stable, but it's more about Cole and Susie. Where do they best fit, and what options does it provide you? Mm-hmm. The Willanin, Irwin, uh, Hirose, Rathbone camp battle. That's going to be an interesting one. We've talked so much about the winger scenario when it comes to uh, Beauvillier, Joshua, but Coles and Hoaglander, PDG. So there was three emerging camp battles. Here's your fourth one. And this one to me, as Brendan G's texting in, like, hey, who do you project to be higher up? This is going to be suddenly a really interesting one. Uh, because it's a big role, third-line center. Yeah, and look, for me, when I project it, I feel like it's suitors to lose, just based on, again, we've, we've talked quite a bit about it in the last hour, is he just has more offensive upside than Teddy Bluger does.
as much as Patrick Alvin is mentioned, they we he's think got more off, in him. He's got more in them. And look, I, he's not wrong. It's it's fine to believe that Teddy Bluger. Uh, you have a belief that that there's more offense in him. We're still talking about someone like a good offensive year for Teddy Bluger is ten goals, fifteen to twenty assists. Yes, a the worst season so far for Pew Suter through his three year NHL career has been uh, fourteen points or fourteen goals and ten assists. Yeah, that's that the was, worst year. And that was last year where I think there was a big uptick, if if I remember correctly, in his uh, shorthanded time on ice. Mm-hmm. So it was just more of a – he was being deployed in situations, and realistically it's probably going to be the same here in Vancouver, situations where he didn't have as much offensive opportunity. Um, but again, to your point, like his worst season – is kind of what you would ho- you would be happy with from Teddy Bluger this year offensively, right? So I just to me when I look at it, unless Suter come in comes in and disappoints in training camp, I feel like the the third line center spot is his to lose. I'm excited for that camp battle though. Uh, yeah. Again, I, I'm big on Teddy Bluger's defensive game, mm-hmm. um, but there's no longer this conversation of like. What's Connor Garland gonna have to do to elevate Teddy Bluger's offensive yeah. game and all that sort of stuff now? If you want to accentuate that part of the line, uh, Pew Suter is, is going to be that guy. I don't know if I, I can right now say who it's going to be, but for me, I, I'd still put Teddy Bluger there. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say it's Atu Rotten. Opening day of camp, uh, I'd like to see uh, Teddy Bluger there, but certainly now it's uh, it's another camp battle to keep an eye on. Are we, are we forgetting one camp battle? That's about it, right? I mean, you can like throw in the Hoaglander, Pod Colson kind of is is one of them going to make the, the opening night lineup? But that's almost like a secondary one of the winger camp yeah. battle that we're already talking about. But, yeah, that's absolutely a, a consideration. Uh, contractual value plays a role in that one. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, con- contractual value kind of speaks to this as well. Uh, two-year deal for Suter, one-year deal for Bluger. I uh, was looking to re-up uh, with his show-me deal as well. 650-650, uh, this one. Uh, we need to give Miller every offensive opportunity we can to see if he can get back to where we thought he'd be. Leaf, hate, or sieve. See, again, it, I, I go back to like the the cost of a point, basically. He put up 99, gets an $8 million deal. This year he puts up 80. It's in line with what he's going to get paid moving forward. But it's just like, hey, you put up 99, then you got your contract. We want to see 99 over and over again. Yeah. But if he gets 80, that's him living up to his value. You're just not surpassing the value. Yeah, and I'm very content with, with 80, anything over 80, especially because, look, he's not the first option offensively for the Canucks. If if he was, then there's reason to be disappointed with, with 80. But if he's the second guy offensively, and he's around 80, 85. To me, like, I, I have no problems with that. I have no problems with JT Miller around that. Anything more is gravy. You're, you're happy. You're pumped. You're looking forward to maybe you have less questions about what is happening at the end of that contract. If he can show that this is him year to year. Um, and it's, I will say it's going to be hard for him to, like, earn back fans' trust probably. But – him being do offensively more podcast sound. Episodes. Yeah. <laughs> JT, we're free. Come on, man. We're always <laughs> open. Um, I just – I really want to see him in a season, what he can do if he doesn't really have to worry about the defensive end. And obviously, like, he should a little bit, but when he's not getting deployed in situations where he needs to be 
defensive mind. Uh, 650-650 also coming in to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. If there's no changes with the roster from now on, what does the cap look like? What do you think they will do by the start of the season? As far as exits, look, I'm still very skeptical. We'll see a Tyler Myers one. We'll see a Connor Garland one. Yeah, I Just because like the, 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 the talent hierarchy of what other options are going to be available and the money that's still owned to, to Connor Garland, um, Sats made this point many times over. Connor Garland's contract escalates the rest of this way. It was $3.75 million uh, total one, or, uh, salary the first year of the deal, $4 million last year. Now it's $6 million for the next two years, and then $5 million of salary that you have to pay out. So there's still $17 million uh, on a contract that pays out. So pair that versus, compare that versus other options that are available. It just might be longer for Connor Garland. Uh, you're looking at more of a quote-unquote hockey trade, but you got to make the money work somehow. Not just the cap work, the actual money to work. Uh, and then the Myers one, we, we know. I, we talked about it yesterday. I think this gets resolved January, February, uh, maybe. I will say, do you even – so before, like, when we talked about the Connor Garland hockey trade, it was like, hey, can you find a 3C sure. that might be a little overpaid that does what Connor – has a similar impact that Connor Garland has. Are you as worried about that now that you have Suter? Like, do you need to make a hockey trade for Connor? Uh, if, 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 if it was a depth D-man. Like, if, if you got a, a I reliable third-pairing D-man for, like, $2 million, would yeah. you do that deal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. For sure. and, and, and either-sided, too, either-handed, right or left. Yeah, now I think you're, you're, now you I think you're really fine. Care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think an interesting deal, I've mentioned this before, an interesting deal somehow would be, and it, it wouldn't even be for Connor Garland, but someone to compete with Carson Soucy right now that maybe had some growth as well, who, yeah. who then could compete with Willander in two years' time. I and, just, and, like, that that would be an interesting scenario. That might be too – you might be ex- – like, you would be expecting too much to get that return for Conor Garland. Of course. But I'm just saying, for, if you're looking at, like, another option, if, if they found that person, like a sub-26-year-old, that would that to me would be an interesting acquisition. For sure. Uh, but we're out of time here. Thanks a lot for the interaction in the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Minutes away from first pitch, Tyler Zickel will have your call here at Nat Bailey Stadium. A lot of people filing in. Hope you have fun. Uh, have a fantastic weekend. I'll be back on Monday here on the People Show on Sports Day at 650.